0: What's up, everybody? Kajeski here, back again with the Odd Shopper channel. Today, we're talking some college basketball bets. It's Thursday, February the 1st. Before we get started, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit the notification bell so you know when this and all other content goes live. We're also brought to you by BetMGM, and they have a limited time offer for those of you in all legal states except New York, Puerto Rico, and Nevada. What you'll do is click the link in the video description below, make your first deposit of at least $5, then make a $5 wager on any team, any total, any market. Whether it wins or loses, you will be paid out $158 in the form of bonus bets. You must be 21 or older to play in most jurisdictions. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Again, limited time, so take advantage of that before it's gone. All right, let's recap. Yesterday was a pretty middling day overall, just to go through the games we talked about on the show and the extras that were added. First one was Alabama. That was really greasy for a large portion of that game. Alabama ended up cutting a 16-point deficit, and it kind of played out how I thought it would. Nick Pringle didn't play in the game, which was a surprise, but Alabama scored off 19 turnovers. They had 42 paint. Points in the paint without Pringle so they definitely use their size somewhat they were out rebounded 34 to 24 which was a surprise but that's an offense that's very hard to keep down so Georgia was able to outlast them for most of the game but it ultimately wasn't enough Alabama got the cover there Penn State Rutgers went way under Kanye Clary did not play as expected that was nice Richmond absolute monster of a team now that they're at full health that was another cover but wasn't all sunshine and roses. Radford had a really embarrassing loss. I mean, they, they just lost to a six win Charleston Southern team that had three wins against division one competition. If you go back and look at the metrics, I do think Radford should have won the game. We don't care about wins and losses. We care about covers. They, they weren't going to cover the game either way. So yeah, it's tough to get minus six and a half on a team like Radford. See that close at 10 and a half, but it's the perfect definition of closing line value does not feed your family. Other than that, Asheville, they made a pretty good push for themselves. That was another one with one point of closing line value. They were outscored in the paint and turned it over six more times than their opponent, but still a pretty good account of themselves. That's not one that's too upsetting to me. You're going to take L's. Rhode Island was a push. I had this at minus two. You got the three. That's a tough break, and I guess we'll talk about it right now. Odd Shopper can help you get some of these pushes that might be losses on other books. You need to check this out. Not only is it a line shopping tool, which is free, but we have packages that have consolidated all our tools. We use a market-based approach to help you find plus EV spots across ports and not just college hoops, which is what I primarily use it for. But our Discord That's so if you'd like the analysis from our expert. Five points away from reaching the cover in a low-scoring game, just not, no reason they should have won that game. Florida, I didn't, I did not have the courage to take Florida. They end up with a win over Kentucky outright when they were plus six and a half. Just didn't have the courage to go against that Kentucky monster offensively, but their defense has been a real problem. And then I did add a Boise State under, so it ended up being a slightly negative day for me. But happy with the process. We'll move forward. Couple other notes. Purdue in that overtime game against Northwestern, Purdue's crazy, man. Like, this is the number one team in the country. They shot 46 free throws. It took Northwestern shooting 52% from three for that to get to overtime. If you're going to need a 52% three-point performance for an opponent to even get to overtime, like, Purdue is unstoppable. And the the difference between them and UConn right now, I think, is just experience. Klingon almost fouled out of their game yesterday against Providence in 15 minutes Edie has a couple years under his belt he never fouls, when he generates a ton of them himself so i mean if those two ever match up again i mean Edie has an edge for sure west Virginia's healthier this is a note moving forward jesse edwards is back they ended up beating cincinnati 69 65 i would take that into account in future west virginia handicaps we talked about the kentucky game Memphis is a complete disaster right now. They benched Javon Quinterly. They end up taking an L to Rice, 74-71. Talked about UConn. That team is really good. They still end up beating Providence, 74-65, without Klingen, basically. And then Boise, late night. They got a nice bounce back over New Mexico, 86-78, after New Mexico just ravaged the, uh, this Nevada team on, on Sunday night. So let's spin it forward to today's games. Bring you behind the glass. <clears throat> Got like a little tickle in my throat for some reason. First one up is going to be Wisconsin taken on Nebraska. The narrative bros are immediately going to be upset with me. Taking Wisconsin as a pick em on the road. Yes, I am aware they play Purdue on Sunday. That game is at home. Unfortunately for Wisconsin, this game is also important. Nebraska is a pretty good team. If they overlook Nebraska, I mean, you're not going to beat Purdue for the outright Big Ten title anyway. They do have a slight edge over Purdue right now. Who has two else? Wisconsin has just the one. You're probably going to take an L to Purdue. So preserving this record at least gives you potentially a share of the title later on. They'll play Purdue twice. But anyway, as far as this game goes, it's a rematch from earlier this season. Wisconsin absolutely annihilated Nebraska on their court. Now they have to travel. So that's at least worth noting. But again, that's always going to be in the spread already, your home court stuff. Nebraska is still not fully healthy. There's a chance Juwan Gary comes back in this game, but the coach has been extremely vocal about bringing Gary along slowly. This is a guy that was playing mid 25s, upper 20s, and minutes. He's not going to play that. We currently have him projected for 12 minutes on the player prop side, but he's important. This front court for Nebraska has Rink massed He's awesome, but Josiah Alec is not very good, and they've struggled to defend opposing front courts, including Wisconsin's. The first time they met, when Stephen Krull – and Tyler Wall combined for nearly 30 points. That's going to be a big issue in this game for Nebraska again. Nebraska does have one advantage I want to bring up. They're excellent at shooting the three. Wisconsin's not great at defending that area of the court. They're 313th in three-point defense. Nebraska 61st in three-point percentage. But this is sort of neutralized to me because Wisconsin does have that massive advantage inside. They're 13th in effective height. Nebraska 139th. And Juwan Gary, again, not expected to play full minutes. This is evidenced in rebounding where Nebraska is outside the top 100. Wisconsin 24th. And honestly, I think Wisconsin's shooting has some room for improvement from three. You're getting pretty good minutes out of players like A.J. Stornow, who's been consistently above 30. 41% three-point shooter Max Klesmitz at 41% three-point shooter Max Klezman's now consistently above 30 minutes. You're seeing this rotation sort of narrow and you're seeing a horribly inefficient scorer like Chucky Hepburn just be a floor general rather than a creator, which I think is positive for Wisconsin. So we'll back the Badgers ahead of this Purdue spot this weekend. Next up, go out west. Our darling Stanford takes on Arizona State in a game that I think is not lying correctly. You can find this around a pick 'em. You can find this – I've got a plus one – luckily, somehow, with Stanford. And we talked about their health last time they were on a show. They've gotten back Spencer Jones now. And this is a fully healthy Stanford. They got back Jared Bynum in their last game, just adding some depth to their guard play. You're facing an Arizona State team who's been up and down, I think, to put it kindly, in Pac-12 play. And the first thing that stands out to me in this game is Stanford's front court. You're now deep in this area of the court. Maxime Raynaud, 7-1. You have Brandon Angel 68, Spencer Jones 67. And it's a pretty deep lineup too. Like Michael Jones and Andre Soyakovich are 65 and 67. This is a ton of size for a Stanford lineup across the board who's just an absolute wagon offensively. And I think they have a little bit of meat left on the bone because of their injuries. This team is 20th in effective field goal percentage. This team is top 10 in three-point percentage, and they're a team that excels inside. They're 73rd in interior scoring. That's with a ton of these guys on the shelf for part of the year. Arizona State, for everything they do well, they're pretty solid defensive team, 41st in total defensive efficiency. They're horrific inside. two-fifteenth in interior defense. They're very good with their guards stopping the three. But you don't have two paths to success for Stanford. I think this team can just run away with it on the road, honestly. And if you look at all the height stuff, Stanford was already 18th in effective height. Arizona State, 101st rebounding metrics. Also show this, and I think you have a chance for this to be even worse, with Arizona State, they've had to bench some guys. Like Bryant who has been benched. He's the Tulsa transfer. And again, we've gotten players back for this Stanford team. So we'll back them. Plus one, it's going to pick them in some spots. I'm fine with this through zero, honestly. I'll take Stanford. Moving to some greasy games. Next up, we have Northeastern taken on Tosin. Interesting game here. One that I think is somewhat tricky to handicap, but one that's still worthwhile. You can find Tosin minus six and a half. This team has a lot of issues scoring, but they're elite defensively. As you can see in the screen, top 100 in defensive efficiency, 190th in offense. It's the exact opposite for Northeastern, but kind of their weaknesses are more pronounced. This team cannot defend whatsoever. They're 296th. As far as this game goes, just to talk to you a little bit about these two teams, Northeastern, 234th strength of schedule. This team is pretty good scoring. They have the 139th ranked effective field goal percentage. In comparison, Tosin has played a tough schedule themselves, 165th strength of schedule, but they're 300th in effective field goal percentage. There are injuries. Lucas Sakota and Joe Pridgen have been missing from this Northeastern team. If you go to EvanMia.com, just isolate this conference. There's only three players in the top 50 of the conference on this Northeastern team. One of them is Sakota. None of them are in the top 25. Their best players are Jared Turner at 28 and Chris Doherty at 32. Meanwhile, Tosin's fully healthy. Nenda back for this roster. They have four players in the top 30. Two of them are top 10 players. That's Chase Parr and Charles Thompson. There's a lot of firepower for this team and excellent defense overall. As far as some of the niche scoring stuff with Tosin versus Northeastern, Basically, everything Northeastern does well, Tosin defends pretty well themselves. So, for whatever reason, this Northeastern team, 315th in effective height, they do a ton of their scoring at the rim. They're 41st in two point percentage. Tosin's defense, that's where they excel on the inside. And then this Northeastern team is just horrific shooting threes. They're outside the top 300 in that metric. If there's a place where Tosin does succeed on offense, I guess it's the three, you know, they're 337th in interior scoring, but 191st. From the perimeter. So maybe that's a matchup they can exploit against Northeastern's defense, which ranks outside the top 300 in three point defense. But you also have a lot of chances for second chance opportunities because Tosin matches up fairly well against Northeastern. Again, Northeastern 315th and effective high Tosin 260th. So this rebounding edge, which you see, it's slight, but the 13th rebounding team in Tosin, that's given them a ton of second chance opportunities. This team is third in offensive rebounding in the country. I believe they trail Houston and Texas A&M, so they're getting a ton of second-chance opportunities, which sort of mitigates a little bit of that really bad effective field goal percentage, expecting this one to move just based on the injuries alone. So if you can grab that before people realize Sakota and Pridgen are still injured, something that's worthwhile here. Next up. Drexel taken on Monmouth. Really fun one here. Drexel's kind of been a pain for me this year. But we're not betting aside, thankfully. We're going to go to a total under 140 points. The crux of this is pacing more than anything else. You have two teams that are extremely slow, as you can see on the screen. Drexel is 349th in adjusted tempo. There's only about 14 teams slower than them. And Monmouth isn't exactly fast. They're 197th. Both of these teams are decent on offense, but Drexel has a solid defense. They're 116th overall. And this is a spot where I think the strength of the offense kind of works against the opposing team's strength on defense. For reference, Monmouth is 38th in three point percentage, but Drexel's 27th in defending the three. And then, you know, Drexel's not the best scoring team. Their effective field goal percentage is 178th. They don't really have a strength, they're kind of just right around average to below average in interior and perimeter scoring, which is solid because, you know, Monmouth's defense, 203, they're not elite in either metric either. So I think this also sets up to be a game where as long as Drexel can neutralize the three-point shooting of Monmouth, they should be able to come away with a win here. They're minus four, but also go under. And again, it's basically just a pacing thing in this game. The pace does not line up with the total. So we'll go under 140 as the play in Drexel Monmouth. Delaware taken on William and Mary. Weird game here. Haven't talked about the tribe much this year, but this one you can find the road team, Delaware minus four and a half. There are some injuries to note. Basically Delaware fully healthy. And this team is awesome. When you just look at their players, they have, Jair Davis, he's 13th in this conference. Evanmia.com to, to find this. Christian Ray's 18th. Neil's Lane is 27th. William and Mary, they only have one player in the top 48 of the CAA. That's the conference this team plays in. They've been injured. They have only gotten three games out of Noah Collier this year. Charlie Williams has been out. Sean Hout has been out. Jack Krasinski's only played nine games. This team is extremely banged up on top of some of the weaknesses they already have. They're 342nd in strength of schedule. They only have three wins against top 300 teams. Their best winning is against Northeastern in the same conference. Northeastern ranks 250th on Ken Palm. So on top of being injured, you've got a really bad resume and a horrible strength of schedule. Conversely, Delaware is 261st in strength of schedule. This team beat Xavier earlier this year. They have a bunch of losses, as you can see on the screen. They're 12 and nine. But eight of those losses came against teams in the top 80. Five of them were by single digits. We already mentioned the players. This team has an awesome roster, whereas William & Mary is dealing with one of the weaker rosters in this conference. Effective field goal percentage. Delaware has the edge. They're 120th. William & Mary is 183rd. And what William & Mary tries to do is shoot a ton of threes. I don't know why they do this. Well, I mean, I do know why they do this. It's effective. If you can shoot threes, they're ninth in three-point rate, but they're 213th in three-point percentage. Delaware's 120th in defending the three. Meanwhile, there's another major mismatch in this game, and I'm not exactly sure why William & Mary 185th in effective height, Delaware 335th. But Delaware is 108th at getting to the rim and scoring inside. William & Mary does not use their height effectively. They're 296th in interior scoring. Rebounding also slightly favors Delaware despite being at a size disadvantage. So, I mean, Delaware just being far more talented as a roster should be able to run away with this. Have no problem with the minus four and a half. And again, William & Mary is not fully healthy. I'm surprised you're getting it at this number. This is accounting for William & Mary at full strength. Moorhead State taken on Tennessee State. We're going to deal with a couple of Tennessee teams and continue to stay greasy. This is one where I think we can back a road team and Moorhead State's only minus three. As far as injury situations in this game, you should have a fully healthy Morehead State here unless you have something like an unexpected absence. Tennessee State is missing Marcus Fitzgerald. He's ranked 52nd in this conference just in terms of most efficient players. This is a really fun matchup in this conference, and both teams have elite players. You just look across the board. The number one, three, and five player are on Moorhead State. Meanwhile, you have the number two and four player on Tennessee State. So, to dive into those players a little bit, Riley Minix is number one, Jordan Lathan, number three, Drew Thelwell's number five. This Moorhead State team has seven players in the top 22. Tennessee State, they're a little weaker. They have four in the top 24. And Christian Brown's number two, Jason Jutobo is number four. The high end of the roster for Tennessee State compares well to Moorhead, but just the balance of this roster. Does not. You're dealing with two studs, and everyone else is just an ancillary player, whereas Moorhead State has multiple ways to beat you. And one of the players, Marcus Fitzgerald, he's about a top 50 player for this team, plays a lot of minutes, and that's going to be an issue missing him. Lastly, I mean, More Moorhead State should have a size advantage on paper, which is crazy to stay because Tennessee State got a Florida transfer, Jason Jatobo, who's 6'11", and again, he's the number 4 player in this conference. But you actually, you know, dive into the stylistics here. Morehead State 129th in effective height, Tennessee State 278th. On the inside, Morehead State 26th in interior scoring, Tennessee State 188th defending the interior. Both teams defend the perimeter really well. So the best mismatch is Morehead State inside, rebounding vastly favors Morehead State 27th to 260th. Some of the turnover stuff, I don't think it's really going to matter. Neither team forces a ton of turnovers. Neither team forces a ton of fouls. So I'm not expecting too much foul trouble from Moorhead or Tennessee State. And honestly, the potential fouling affects a a team like Tennessee State, who's a little more thin. You have a ton of size and players that can actually play with depth on this Morehead State team. It's not like it's just one player, whereas Jitobo kind of is the only guy for this team that has – you know, consistent size. Otherwise, I think that's about it for this game. Just diving in. Oh, effective field goal percentage, Morehead State 83rd, Tennessee State 245th. So just vastly different styles of offense, ability to score with Morehead State on the road. I know we're back in a couple road teams, but that'll change here pretty soon as we go through next couple games. Mentioned we'll stick with Tennessee. Southern Indiana takes on Tennessee Tech. Weird one here. Instead of the top of the conference, we kind of just talked about the game of the night. We're going to the bottom of the conference. We're going to take another road team, but Southern Indiana is plus two and a half against Tennessee Tech. Had to really dive deep for these two teams. Southern Indiana is 284th strength of schedule. They have one top 300 win. They are 335th in effective field goal percentage. But Tennessee Tech's not much better. They're 270th in strength of schedule. They also have just one top 300 win they're 263rd in effective field goal percentage. The difference in some of these teams, Southern Indiana, Jordan Tillman's only played in seven games, but he's their worst player. So I'm not really too worried about that. Ryan Hall's also missing time. He's not very good either. Tennessee Tech has missed a bunch of time. Jarvis Harvey, David Early, they've been missing games. Grant Strong's only played in eight games. In this Ohio Valley Conference, Tennessee Tech only has three players in the top 50 One of them is Rodney Johnson at 32nd, but the other two are Harvey and Early, who've been out. If neither of them return, this Tennessee Tech team's at a severe disadvantage compared to what they're normally playing with. Meanwhile, Southern Indiana has four players in the top 50. They should all be active for this game. And this is another spot where height should be a big advantage for Southern Indiana. I think that's just primarily how they try to win. They're 189th in effective height. Tennessee Tech, 340th. Interior scoring... Tennessee Tech is 311, so you should be able to just play through the height rebounding suit Southern Indiana. You can see that on the screen, 192nd to 345th. There's not really anything Tennessee Tech does that well either. I mentioned they do have a scoring advantage on paper, I suppose. 263 to 355, in effective field goal percentage. But they score inside with a really small lineup. Southern Indiana is actually 99th. This is a top 100 team at defending the paint. So I'm not really sure you find success with Tennessee Tech here. And I think this is honestly just the teams that have almost identical resumes. But you've seen this luck coin flip factor work Tennessee Tech's direction, whereas Southern Indiana, it hasn't just yet. And you see a slight gap in their resumes. But we'll back Southern Indiana here. Last one, I believe, Sam Houston State, Western Kentucky. This is one I think is pretty nice for the home team. And we have Western Kentucky favored by four and a half. I do expect this to move largely because of the injury news. Christian Lander is coming back. He had a head injury. I thought he was going to be back earlier for this team, but missed their last game. Sam Houston, talk about their injuries in a second, but just kind of overarching stuff. Sam Houston 130, 53rd strength of schedule. Western Kentucky 243. Effective height. Sam Houston cannot score their 311. And Western Kentucky is 130th. As far as talent goes, I don't even think it's close. Sam Houston has two top 30 players. Western Kentucky's hammered the transfer portal. It's not just Christian Lander who's back, but you have four players in the top 20, five in the top 25. You have players like Rodney Howard on this roster. He's a Georgia Tech transfer, Brandon Newman. There's a lot of power five players on this roster. And they've sort of been injured at times and played down to competition. But in this contest, I don't see that being a huge issue. Sam Houston State, they're behind Western Kentucky in both offensive and defensive efficiency. We already mentioned the effective field goal percentage difference. Western Kentucky can play inside with their height. They do have a height advantage, 188 to 296. They're 128th in interior scoring. Sam Houston's 288th defending that area of the court. And both these teams defend pretty well from three. You still have a shooting gap there, 147th for Western Kentucky, Sam Houston, 244th. This Sam Houston team is barely inside the top 250 in any scoring metric. And Western Kentucky is about top 100 in both. This team is actually 57th defending the 3 one-tenth in the interior. And again, Sam Houston doesn't play with size to begin with. Rebounding, again, Western Kentucky's direction. This Western Kentucky team and Sam Houston both can force turnovers. But I trust the elite play, or not elite, I guess power five play that's now come down to Western Kentucky far more than I do with what Sam Houston has on the floor. And this game's going to be fast. I mean, anytime you have Western Kentucky, they're going to pace you up. And Sam Houston doesn't exactly play slow. That game does not suit Sam Houston. The more chances you give Western Kentucky to run away with this, the worse it can be for them. All right, before we get out of here, give you a couple of throwaways that I didn't think were completely worth breaking down in the stream. I did take Western Illinois against Lindenwood minus four. Added Eastern Washington minus three and a half against Montana State. Cleveland State against Detroit Mercy, seven and a half. Holy smokes. I spent a second on this one. Detroit Mercy is 0 22. They played a bunch of conference games by now. They've lost all of them except two by double digits. This is a rematch already. Cleveland State won by 11 points in their first contest. And I mean, this just says blowout city written all over it. And Jacksonville State, I think, is interesting in this game against UTEP plus four. Jacksonville State has some pretty good players like Kai, Kai Tandy's on this roster. And I mean, just overall scoring suits, Jacksonville State, UTEP has been a terrible offense. So that's one I think you could back as well. That'll do it for us today. We've got a slow Friday on deck tomorrow, followed by a mega Saturday. I'll do what I can to get these videos out as soon as possible. Thank you for all the support. If you've given it and the feedback, I really appreciate it. I'm on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajeski. If you'd ever like to reach out to me, I'm available. DMs are open. You can leave a comment as well. I've been checking these pretty routinely. Otherwise, thank you guys for watching, and good luck. We'll see you tomorrow.